All right, guys. Hey, this is Anthony. I'm doing a series of podcasts by user requests. And the first podcast topic uh, by uh, request of Bella Mosca um, is uh, the aging crisis, or rather, um, how are we going to take care of all the many seniors that will be retiring, um, particularly since uh, birth rates are declining and we have the baby boomers beginning to retire. They've already been retiring. Uh, This is known sometimes as the aging crisis or the demographic crunch, and it's been referred to as the pig and the python because when you look at the birth rates of generations on a chart of men and women, it looks like kind of like a long snake of about, you know, average birth rates are are, uh, slowly declining, and then all of a sudden you have this big uh, lump of baby boomers that come through. Um, and so what that does is it means we have a lot of seniors to care for. Um, some of you may know that I helped my parents found a, uh, or start a senior care agency here in Gainesville. Uh, it's called Touching Hearts at Home. Uh, and so I have learned a lot about this problem, but I don't want to spend a lot of time talking about the problem because I think that's available elsewhere. I think the media will spend most of its time on that. And I'd rather just talk about solutions or potential solutions. Um, As far as long-term, like direct care of the elderly, like how are we going to take care of them physically? I think the answer, you know, the best I can give is robotics. That's pretty much what the startup industry, what the, um, you know, futurists and investment uh, bankers, that's what they're betting on to be the future. So maybe it's, um, you know, a robot that can lift you, that'll just be in your home if you fall. Uh, and then, you know, space age Jetsons robots that can make you dinner one day. Um, maybe it won't look like a robot. Maybe it'll just be a 3d food printer. Um, but, uh, I do want to talk about, uh, what we can do to prevent, uh, others from getting sick and from ourselves getting sick. So we have all these seniors and I also want to talk about how we can treat them. So there are some promising new treatments coming out and uh, for aging related uh, diseases like dementia and Alzheimer's. And I think that's important because, you know, if you can ensure that your brain remains healthy, that you're able to look after yourself, then you'll never need, uh, I don't want to say never, but it's you're going to need less help and you may need help much later and for a shorter period of time. So some of the promising treatments that have come out in that regard, you know, we do have anti-aging drugs that are coming out. The people are trying to treat the causes of dementia and Alzheimer's. The one that's most promising to me and that the FDA is about to release a or approve a new treatment for is known as uh, transcranial magnetic stimulation, TMS. Uh, it's basically stimulating your brain electrically to, uh, I believe it causes, it does, it causes the growth of new brain cells by releasing a hormone called BDNF or brain-derived neurotrophic factor. And what this does is, so I guess in the normal progress of aging and, and particularly dementia, um, you have, you have proteins, everyone has proteins that build up in their brain as they live, uh, you know, on the daily basis. For many people and for most of your life, when you sleep, you clear out those proteins, these cells called glial cells, remove them for you. In people that suffer dementia, that it seems, and again, this is a theory, but it's a pretty well, let's say it's a, um, 
it's it's in vogue right now, or it's it's a popular theory among scientists. These proteins build up to to a critical threshold, a critical mass, and now your nerves uh, have trouble transmitting signals. So your brain function is reduced. Um, and I think actually it may it, the word they use sometimes is like choke the neurons off. They're not communicating with the other neurons. And what this TMS does is it grows new brain cells. Now, and this TMS, just so you know, it's not just being used in dementia. It's currently an FDA-approved treatment for depression. I think they're working on bipolar disorder. And there's different types of electrical stimulation that are being used for a variety of brain diseases. And the reason that people like electrical stimulation over other types of drugs is that it has no side effects. So, well, I should say with TMS, there's no side effects that they're aware of. And this is something that has been being studied for, I think, 20 years. Um, I spoke to a doctor about it. He said the only contraindications are if you have a metal plate in your head, it hurts, but you can still do it. And there are other types of electrical treatments like this. But anyway, so, you know, Ben Carson, the former presidential candidate and neurosurgeon, he, he talked about this. And I think he was kind of derided in the in the uh, by parts of the media. But you can Google it. Um, Google TMS for Alzheimer's or Google uh, electrical stimulation for Alzheimer's. And apparently the results are very promising. Um, so that'll restore some of their cognitive functions so that we don't have to worry about seniors forgetting to eat or leaving their home or getting lost or um, not taking care of their, just all of the different uh, consequences of aging related dementia. Another really cool treatment that just came out, this just came out a few days ago, and I believe it's MIT researchers. They have used pulses of light and sound to clear protein from mice brains that had uh, basically the mice form of dementia. Um, and so literally it's a non-invasive treatment. They did not go, they did not operate on these mice or do anything to them other than induce dementia in them. I did, I do believe that it was a induced form of dementia so that they could study it. But basically, um, they pulsed light into the eyes of these mice. And then they also did pulses of sound and the way it was described and please google the article if you want more in-depth description but the words used were restoring the missing frequencies of the brain and they were able to look at these mice's brains these mice brains and find out that they had reduced plaque reduced proteins in their brain and not only that the mice significantly improved on tests of cognitive function only after a week so one week alone was enough to produce a significant improvement. And uh, you could imagine how wonderful it would be if all these seniors or some of them were able to have their brain function restored just by sequences of light and sound and have no operation, need no drugs. It would be amazing. And it would really, you know, we'll see if it works in humans, we'll see how many, but if it does, I'm really hopeful that this could reduce the burden on our healthcare industry, on our, um, our labor force and on our government who, um, right now are stepping in to pay for a lot of this care. You know, if you lose all your assets 
or when you run out of assets and you're in a nursing home, Medicaid, uh, I believe, pays for that. And it's expensive. It costs Medicaid. I believe I read in the New York Times something like 80000 a year for one patient. Um, it might have been 50. It's between 50 and 80, but it's, it's close to that. So just, uh, you know, feel free to check up on that for me. I'm, I can't do it right now. So I next want to talk about how do we mend our aging bodies? How do we make it so that seniors are more able to lift things, to take care of themselves, to do tasks of daily living, etc.? And um, that's one of the main reasons that they need things like nursing assistance. So if we can fix that, or if we can help that at least, there'll be less demand on care, uh, which by the way, nursing assistant is the top job in America, the fastest growing job rather. And so um, I think truck driver is actually, or, or commercial driver is the number one most common job, but nursing assistant is going up. Anyway, so uh, when I was working in the senior care industry, um, I was office manager for my parents' senior care agency. Um, what I found out is there were multiple cases of seniors, let's say having a bad fall, and they would have an invasive surgery, like a hip replacement, and a lot of times when that happens, they will ask these seniors to go to um, facilities where they can be monitored and they'll do their physical therapy there. So the idea is you go to the assisted living, I believe, temporarily um, until you're ready to go home after you complete your physical therapy. And what I found out from talking to physical therapists and from others is that a lot of times these seniors will leave from their uh, physical therapy with better mobility than before they injured themselves. In other words, before they fell, they were on a walker and they have this fall and they have a major surgery. They come out of physical therapy not needing the walker. And I'm talking about in their 90s. This happened to several 95-year-olds that I know of. And so, you know, I don't have the exact statistics, but I have learned also from doing my own physical therapy, that it is hugely impactful. Once I had that experience, um, and also I have been in physical therapy for my shoulders, and so I do see seniors every time I'm there receiving their own physical therapy. What I learned is, or at least it is now my belief, um, that what we think of as the natural flow of aging that you're just going to have to become frail and you're just going to have to be on a walker. I'm exaggerating a bit, but you get the idea that we're all going to become weak and frail. That that is not necessarily a certainty. That that is somewhat negotiable. And the basic principle seems to be use it or lose it. Um, I, you know, I work in the, I'm in social media and I do it mainly for um, health and fitness. And I work for um, a kinesiology researcher, as well as um, some nutrition, uh, a nutrition PhD. And they like to say, use it or lose it. And particularly with regards to your muscles. Uh, and I think a lot of physical therapists, other professionals would tell you this too. Everyone needs to be doing resistance training. And the reason is if you don't, you will lose it. And you can't just the body also wants progressive resistance training. So it wants you to challenge yourself because what happens is if you're not challenging yourself, um, it just gets more efficient. So you're still going to lose the muscle mass. I'll give you an example. There's something called sarcopenia, which is age related muscle wasting. And the stats I've heard on sarcopenia is it happens to anyone who does not work out 
and you know, it probably happens to people who do work out, but much less so. I'll give you examples. For people that do not work out as they age, you'll lose 10% of your muscle mass on age by age 30, 30% by age 50, and 50% of your muscle mass by age 70. That is why, at least it's part of why, so many seniors are hunched over, can't walk. Now, I know that there are debilitating injuries out there, diseases, etc. But I've learned that very often there are interventions mainly being working out or doing physical therapy. And I also want to recommend something I learned the hard way. <clears throat> One of the reasons I have to do physical therapy for my shoulders is that I um, noticed pain, but I ignored it for years. And in talking with my physical therapist, he basically confirmed for me, you know, at least in his opinion, had I come in earlier, the physical therapy would have been much more rapid. But because I didn't, now it takes a lot more time. So what I, I would tell you is if you have a concern about a pain or if you have injuries or pains that are preventing you from being as active as you would like to be or as you know you should be, please go see a doctor. I know in the state of Florida, um, there's a new law that you can see a physical therapist um, for up to 30 days without needing the referral of a doctor. And this can save you time because I know that when I got checked out for my shoulder, um, you know, let's say I thought I had to go to the doctor first. So it was a couple weeks to uh, hear back from my general to get a orthopedic uh, referral and then a couple weeks to see the orthopedist. And then after that, it was like a month to get in to see the physical therapist. So if your injury, you know, if it's not severe, use good judgment, but call a physical therapist and see if it's something you can get in for. And, you know, your doctor's going to have to sign off for it, but you can start receiving care or, and you can be screened. Um, the next thing I want to talk about along the lines of physical activity is uh, it's it may be surprising. So that covers your muscles is to... Uh, do resistance training and to get screened by physical therapists and doctors for any injuries you have. But um, the thing that people may not know about exercise is that it really helps your brain. So um, for a long time, I believe until the 90s, uh, they thought that your brain didn't grow new brain cells. But then they found that actually your brain can grow new brain cells in a process called neurogenesis. And other studies have found, in particular, that the thing that really speeds up neurogenesis is exercise. And among that, and I have studies that I can send you if you if you request them, um, the types of exercise, the type of exercise that produces the most neurogenesis is steady state cardio. So there's at least in animal models. Um, and I've done some checking. Basically, what they found out is mice that run for um, 30 minutes on a wheel experience a lot of new brain cell growth. I think they set up to three times the normal rate of new brain cell growth that they would have from doing no exercise. They said that mice that did resistance training, and the way they do this is they attached weights to the mice and had them climb up objects on a routine basis. Those mice had very little neurogenesis. Not that I'm telling you not to lose weight, but it's no substitute. For, not, I'm sorry, lift weight. But lifting weights is not a substitute for cardio for your brain. It does other things for your brain, but it does not grow new gray matter that I'm aware of and that I've looked into. 
And then the last type of cardio or exercise they tested was high intensity training. They said that mice that did high intensity training, which were high intensity is fast bouts of exercise over short periods of time. Those mice experienced a little bit of new brain cell growth, but nowhere near as much as the mice that did the rapid but steady cardio. You can think of this as like jogging pace. Um, so I would recommend if you can, and this is nothing that doctors won't tell you or haven't been telling people for years. Ideally, you're doing 30 minutes of cardio four times a week or an hour, let's say an hour, two times a week. I know people that do that. Um, but if you can't do that, um, and actually probably the best way to start is just baby steps. And I think this is important because um, like we said at the beginning, some there are many seniors who have reasonably healthy bodies, but their mental capacity is not there. And that's why they need the 24-hour care. Or um, So sometimes they go hand in hand, but other times they don't. Um, they don't decay at the same rate. So, but anyway, if you are doing stuff with cardio, you, there's a good chance that you also are improving your brain and that you have a healthy brain, or you're at least you're much more likely to. Um, one thing that I did was uh, I told myself I was going to do even just three minutes of cardio uh, every day because I couldn't remember to do it or I tried to weasel out of it. So what I would do is I would just jog around my house. If that's if you're not ready for jogging, try to do brisk walking. But what I found is when I tell myself I'm going to do three minutes, I actually end up doing a lot more. And the baby step principle, like you find yourself wanting to do more, like you you find yourself disappointed that you can only do three minutes or whatever it is. Um, I actually started with high intensity cardio, even though I mentioned that that doesn't have a huge brain impact. It does have some, and what it does is it increases your um, cardiovascular capacity much more quickly than steady state cardio. So there's studies out there showing that a measure called VO2 max, um, which is the amount of oxygen I think that your muscles can handle, if I'm vaguely relating that correct. I apologize if that's not perfectly correct. Um, but uh, the, that, that number goes up much more quickly in people who do high intensity cardio than people who do steady state cardio. I believe resting heart rate, resting heart rate is how many times your heart has to pump just when you're at rest to keep your, you know, keep you alive, to keep your blood moving. Um, the lower that number is, or the closer to, let's say, I think the fifties, the healthier you are cardiovascularly, the healthier your heart is. I believe that number goes down faster with high intensity. Now, the thing to remember about high intensity is you're more likely to injure yourself and it's not recommended for heavy people. It's not recommended for people who are not experienced at exercising. And it's not something that's, I believe they say you can do it two or three times a week. So keep that in mind. All right. Um, let me see if there's any other topics I want to address. All right. I do just want to mention obesity. Um, so, uh, and you know, I'm sensitive to this topic because I actually have spent most of my life overweight. Um, and so that's been a battle for me before. Um, but Basically, they do find that obesity in midlife does increase your risk of Alzheimer's. Uh, and I want to add that obesity is also correlated with heart disease, which we know is one of the main killers. I think it might be the main killer. Um, but what a lot of people don't know is, so you hear a lot of talk about type 2 diabetes or diabetes in general. Well, 
the main cause of diabetes is obesity. The main cause of heart disease is obesity. It's not just you catch it. The 70% of, I believe it's 70% of type 2 diabetes sufferers, which is the kind that you um, can get in adulthood, um, they're, they're overweight or they're obese rather. And so um, it is important that you try to get a grip on that. You know, doctor's guidelines, I think they say that, gosh, I remember for men, I think I know that with men, they say that you want your waistline to be below 50% of your height. For women, I can't precisely remember the, the measurement, but a lot of doctors now are looking at waistline. The reason being, and this is something that my nutritionist boss talks about, if your waistline is going up, it's probably not muscle. Um, and so guys, by the way, if you're out there doing a bulking diet, uh, you should probably be measuring your waist because if that's going up, you're probably not doing yourself any favors for your health. Anyway, um, so that's a good rule of thumb. Look up the recommended waistline. Um, but honestly, they found that uh, people who are overweight that work out are in better shape than people who are healthy weights but do not work out. So don't let all of this dissuade you. Um, <clears throat> if it seems like an insurmountable goal to exercise every day, recognize that there's a lot of new research coming out about something called incidental exercise or high intensity incidental physical activity, HIPAA. And it's, it's spelt a lot like the, uh, the healthcare privacy laws. But anyway, things like going upstairs quickly, walking to your car briskly, um, <clears throat> racing your kid to the end of the street. I don't know. Be safe, guys. But you're getting the idea. Little challenges that you can create for yourself. Um, you know, they do find that with activity, more is better. But like I said, even a little bit of activity is hugely impactful. They find that this stuff changes your cells. Um, so anyway, uh, I wanted to throw that in there. And I think that's about it. You know, sorry if it was counterintuitive that I was going to talk about how to take care of your own health um, when I'm talking about the aging crisis. Uh, but I think that it, you know, one of the first things we can do is take care of ourselves because if we take care of ourselves, that means one less person for the healthcare establishment, for the government, for, um, for our family members to have to take care of. Uh, so I hope it was helpful. You know, as I come across more new research and things, I'd be happy to share it. Uh, if you guys have heard of really great solutions about this, uh, please let me know. We're always trying to think of some. So thank you for listening and I hope you have a great rest of the day. All right, till next time. Bye.